Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. I'm so pumped to be with you guys. Um, as Shailene said, I'm one of the pastors here. I've been here for about four years. And before coming to New Life, um, I spent like 15 years doing college and young adult ministry. So when I'm in this room with you guys, I feel really, really comfortable and happy. Um, and it just feels like, ah, oh, I'm back with my people. My people, you guys help me feel young. And so I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, I am pumped because I get to continue on with a series um, about leadership. And anytime I get to talk about leadership, I get excited because whether you know it or not, like it or not, thought about it much or not, you part of why you were created to lead to part of why you were created to live is to lead. God has called you and I to influence other people, and some of us more readily see ourselves as leaders. And some of us go, me, lead? Are you serious? I don't have a leadership role. Leadership is not contingent upon a role. It's contingent upon your willingness and availability to say, God, I want to be a part of influencing others. So I'm super pumped to, uh, to speak with you guys this morning. What we're going to do now is just open the scriptures, and I'm going to read a, a verse out of the Old Testament, out of the New Testament, and then out of the Gospels, and then we'll pray and jump in. First, out of the Old Testament, this is Psalms 78. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. It's not on the screen. Psalm 78, verse 70. Asaph is the writer of this psalm, and he writes, He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. You guys will remember the story of David when he was anointed king, all the brothers went before Solomon. They could, they, Solomon's like, none of, your, none, of your, none of these kids, Jesse, are the king. Do you have any more sons? David was actually out tending the sheep. It was sort of the forgotten baby brother, right? So literally, taken from tending the sheep. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. So catch this. He was shepherding sheep, physical sheep, and God took him and said, no, no, no. You're called to shepherd people. You're actually called to lead and guide them. Catch this part, verse 72. And David shepherded them with two things. Integrity of heart and with skillful hands he led them. So flip over to the New Testament into the book of Ephesians. This is Ephesians 4. We'll start in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in the Gospels, and we'll pray, this is Luke chapter 22, verse 24. We'll start there. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So the disciples are arguing, who's got the chops around here? Who can flex, right? Who, who, which one of us are, are the real followers of Jesus? Jesus, in response, said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them called themselves benefactors. 
But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the rulers like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's so rich and so deep. It's powerful. It causes us to pause and reevaluate our lives. And we just ask that, Holy Spirit, you would guide our time together, both the words that come from my mouth and the discussion that we have around the table. Lord, may it be pleasing to you. May it shape and mold us to look more like you, God. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing unto you, O God, we pray. And everybody said, amen. So I'm a, I'm a 41-year-old bald dude with a little scruff on my face, a little gray in my beard. And uh, as a result, um, I've, I have a little bit of, of life underneath me. And so I'm going to share with you guys eight lessons, leadership learnings, if you will, straight out of my life. None of these are just sort of taken from a book, although that would be fine if they were. Um, but these are eight learnings that are deeply personal for me, that if literally I said, here are the journals over the last 20 years of my life, right there on the table, it might take two tables, um, and you were to open them up and collectively study them, you would probably come up with a version of these same eight lessons from those journals. So this is straight from my, my life. And so I just want you to know that as, I, as I'm sharing these with you, that this is, this is, if you will, backed up by a lot of uh, mistakes on my part, a lot of learning the lessons the hard way, um, and then God saying, hello, you made a mistake, now I want to teach you from that and show you how to, to lead differently. So these eight leadership learnings, are you guys ready? Okay, we'll, 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 I'll resist the urge to have a drum roll for this first one, but the first learning straight out of my life is that pain and leadership go together. And you're thinking, great, I'm so encouraged, Brad. You've just told me the weather. I like it a lot, know it or not, thought about it a lot. I'm a leader, and now you're saying that leadership comes with pain. Great, I'm so encouraged. I'm so inspired to lead. Thank you, Brad. I'm, I'm yeah, really thank you. I, I came for the coffee, I guess, right? This is an important lesson to learn because if it catches you by surprise, it can put you down for the count. You go, wait a second. I'm here to, to lead and, and help people and, and, and sort of shepherd them towards God and a life that is full and, and whole. And, and I'm here offering myself to them. I, I don't have to do this. I could just sort of coast and not be one that influences and cares about other people. But I have now engaged and suddenly I'm met with pain. I didn't sign up for this. Well, I have to warn you that when you, if you dare to truly embark on this idea of leadership, you will quickly encounter pain. And some argue, and I think rightfully so, that to the degree that you're able to tolerate the pain that comes with leadership, to that same degree, you will be given leadership. 
It's a tough truth to face, right? But we're talking about leading other faulted human beings, and we ourselves, if we're in a leadership position or not, if we're trying to influence, we ourselves are full, riddled, if you will, of brokenness, imperfections. And so you merge those things together, and there's going to be a little bit of drama. Also, you factor in this idea that you're trying to help someone, meet them where they're at, and take them, not necessarily where they want to go, but where they need to go. You're trying to gently lead them to a new place, right? Do you think there's any resistance in that? Yes. We don't like change. And leaders, by default, are those that help people embrace the process of change and transformation in their life. People, us, we kick back at that, right? We don't want that. It's easy as a leader to be misunderstood, for your motives to be questioned, for your integrity to be questioned. You are more visible, right? Just as I'm up here leading this meeting, teaching, I am way more visible than all of you, and there is a, there is a level of vulnerability that comes with that. Some of you, and I'm not sensitive to this um, a lot, way, like I was before, but some of you go, that Pastor Brad, he's, he's just kind of a weird guy. Like, he's got a crooked nose and a chipped tooth, and his breath smells like coffee. I don't really like his message, right? And how would that impact me? My ability to tolerate that may prevent me from accepting an opportunity to lead, right? And so there's a question right at the beginning of this leadership journey that you have to ask yourself. Are you willing to lead even if it brings you some pain along the way? And particularly as a young leader, you can be naive to the fact uh, that the more you seek to lead, the more you will indeed feel pain and the burn of leading. Isn't that encouraging? Um, We wish there was a magic little blue jay balm that we could put on the corn of the feet of our leadership to make it go away. That is a weird picture. I don't know why I chose that one. Um, She looks like she's being tortured. Okay. So Elizabeth Elliot, Christian author and writer, her husband, you may uh, remember Jim Elliot, was martyred when he tried to bring the gospel to the Inca Indians in 1956. This is his wife. She's an amazing, amazing woman. She wrote this. I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I am very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I can think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. Here's the good news. Bad news is leadership causes you pain. The good news is when we're seeking to lead and influence people for the Lord, it's in that pain that God meets us in profound ways and shapes us. So yes, leadership causes pain, but you better believe it's one of the most powerful tools God uses to draw us to himself and even help us encounter him. Pain has a way of opening us up to God and obliterating any notion inside of us that we, are, that we can do it on our own. That's been so true of me. I've gone through three really massive leadership valleys. One of them, a ministry I was leading, there was two warring factions, um, and they stopped just short of ushering in a second civil war in our country, and they hated each other. That, that was supposed to be a joke, but you guys missed it. 
It wasn't that severe, but almost, right? They split this entire ministry that I was leading, and they hated each other. There was allegations of, this person is, a, is involved in witchcraft, and this person is a predator. I mean, it was that bad. I'm not, that's not a joke. That was serious. It was insane. The police got involved, and I was in the middle of it, trying to protect the unity of the, of the church. <laughs> I went to this massive leadership valley, and it was painful. But guess what? Jesus met me there. And he comforted me. And I fell in love with God in a whole different way because of how he met me in that place of insanity. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I like that. It's like, don't be surprised. So that's part of my, my heart in point number one is like, guys, don't be like, what's happening when you're leading and, and it gets hard? Oh my gosh, you didn't anticipate that. Anticipate it. Expect it and have a plan for when it comes. You need to have other people in your life that surround you, give you perspective. You need to go and you need to know how to retreat and, and find your bearing again. Hide yourself in the word. Go pray. Find a place of solace and comfort when you're in leadership pain. So, number two. You guys with me? Who you lead with is more important than you might think. Sometimes, I know for me, when I was early, early on in my leadership journey, I was just excited to lead and just eager to, okay, God, where is it? What, what is it? Where is it? And what is it that you want me to do? Was sort of the, the primary question. I was like searching, where's the opportunity? When is the opportunity? What is the opportunity? But I failed to consider who that opportunity would be with, right? So leaders need to make sure they surround themselves with the right people, right? Because gone are the days of the Lone Ranger leader. Gone, they're gone, right? That is an unhealthy model that thankfully is going away. The focus on leadership, as it should be, as we see in the Bible... It's about team, right? And so the chemistry and the relationships that you have with the people around you, man, that is a huge deal. One of the reasons, there's a lot of reasons I love my role at New Life Church, but do you know a really big one is the people that I get to be around every day, right? And sometimes you come into a leadership situation and you inherit the people that you are leading alongside, right? The longer you're there, the more that you get to choose who those people are. Take very seriously the people that you lead alongside or that you lead with. I mean, we've all seen those sports teams, right, that, that were made up of average players. But because of who they were collectively, they went on to win championships, Right? It's the same principle in leadership, right? You can have a team of sort of average intelligence people, average gifting, you know, just sort of normal people like like you and me. Maybe some of you are all-stars out there. I'm certainly not one, right? But when you have a team of people that you pull together that there's tremendous chemistry with, something called synergy happens, right? 
One plus one no longer equals two. It equals ten. That's synergy, right? So, very, very important. Check out the scripture. Romans 12.5 says, Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. So this idea of interdependence. 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. Huge deal. All right, number three. How you treat people will greatly affect your ability to lead them. How you treat people will greatly affect your ability to lead them. Something that I learned a lot from my dad, but one of the, one of the things that I kind of caught from him was the way he treated people that were, quote-unquote, below him in the social ladder, right? I love that about my dad. My dad was an attorney by profession, and he uh, worked in downtown Denver. If any of you are familiar with the Paramount building, it's this historic building. He worked at this oil and gas company. He had the corner office, overlooked the 16th Street Mall, and he wore a suit every day. And he, you know, when I was with my dad, I was like, I'm with like the high roller. Like I was like, this guy, my dad is like the boss of downtown Denver. That's how I had him in my head, right? He was like game on. He was like strolling through. But I love the way my dad, he knew every person's name. It didn't matter whether they were the lobby attendant or the sandwich shop person or the bus driver in 16th Street Mall. He was always just showing them, I, I, don't, I don't care about the social ladder that's in some people's mind. I see you as a valuable person created in the image of God, Right? When you're in an, any organization, there's relationships up, there's relationships sideways, and there's relationships down in terms of the org chart, right? Which one of those relationships of those three is most important? All of them. They're all of equal value, right? And I've seen person after person, no joke, incredibly talented, incredibly passionate, very gifted, they have not done well in an organization because of how they treat people. They had all the ingredients of success, right? But they did not value people enough to show them common courtesy. Oh, are you kidding me? It's sad, but it's a revealer of the heart, right? This is when pride becomes very evident of sort of like the people below me on the org chart, they're here to serve me and I can control them like, like pawns on a chessboard. Uh, 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 uh. Remember the scripture we read, Jesus? That's what the Gentiles do. They lord it over people and they're the benefactors. Jesus said, I've come as one among you who wants to serve other people. So that heart of humility, right? We have to show that as leaders or it's going to hijack our ability to influence people. Here's, here's the deal. A leader stands up and, and is full of, a, of, a, of a, a message or something, right? And people out there who really know them are sitting there going, yeah, I saw the way you treated so-and-so last week. I can't really listen to you. This is kind of making me nauseated. Because you're saying one thing out of your mouth about being kind to people, but then Monday morning rolls around when you haven't had your coffee and you're a complete punk to that person who's below you, right? Huge, huge deal. Social intelligence. 
1 Thessalonians 5.14, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. As I'm telling you, this will be a game changer for you if you decide that any environment that you walk into, you're going to walk seeing and expressing value to other people and being patient with people who are there to support you, right? Like you're the person, you're the leader and they're there to support you. If you show them patience, kindness, and love, that's going to go a long, a long way. Ah, this quote from Robert Greene. This one is crazy awesome. There is something I call social intelligence. You can do a lot in life on your own and you can do all kinds of stuff But if you're really bad with people, if you're really naive or aggressive and push people away, if you don't know the political environment you're in, it invalidates all the things you know. You're not going to get anywhere. I love that, the the second to last little part. It invalidates all the things you know. So you can be the most intelligent, most gifted people, person in the room, but if you're a jerk... It invalidates almost all of that, right? So think about those little interactions. You guys, it can start with as something as simply as acknowledging people that you walk by, right? That are below you in the org chart, right? That are less than in whatever circle you find yourself in. Do you say, hey, how are you? Sally, Tony, Samantha, Billy Bob, whoever their name is, you acknowledge and you say, how are you doing? Just that simple act, if that's really all that, all that you can offer them in that moment, you've communicated value and appreciation to them. Number four, sharpening your acts and raising others up are always worth your time. Here's the deal. We as leaders, if you are kind of wired as the leader person, that's your natural bent, here's, here's the tendency that you and I will have. I'm here to get things done. I am here to accomplish things. I'm here to see the goal and crush it. Stomp it under my foot, boom. And what we fail to do if if we keep that mindset is that we have to do two things. We have to bring other people along with us, develop them, raise them up, let them be a part of where we're going, or our accomplishments will be minimized because we will quickly find out that a lone, a lone ranger leader can only accomplish so much on their own, but someone who empowers others, right? So the, here's the trick. It's counterintuitive for some of us to stop what we're doing and invest in another person. Because we're like, the task, the task, the task, the task, the task, the task, the task. Really, we should be thinking the team, the team, the people. Who can I develop and, and raise with me, right? So you have to literally turn that part of you off for a little while and come over here and delegate, encourage, invite, ask, right? And the other part of that is sharpening your axe. This is why I take time in my days to crack open a, this thing called a book, right? Of other people who, who have an expertise in the area that I'm working in. This is why I, I leave my tasks to fly to another state to go to a conference and learn from people. All this is sharpening my axe. So when I come back to work, one swing of the axe is more effective than maybe five before I went to that event that helped me rethink or refuel. So when I re-engaged, I'm actually more effective, right? 
So this is a counterintuitive move. Put the task aside and develop other people and sharpen your own axe. Andrew Carnegie became the richest man in the world in 1902. Said this, no person will make a great business who wants to do it all himself or get all the credit. I love it. So good. Check out this balance in these two scriptures. One, Jesus saying something, and then the second one, Jesus doing something. Matthew 28, 18 says, Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? All nations. Talk about this larger-than-life mandate. That's the task, right? You've been given a mission. I can't think of any greater or grander mission than the one Jesus gave in Matthew 28, 18. There's a lot to do. Juxtapose that idea with what we read about Jesus in John 5, 16. But Jesus, everybody say it with me, often. Let's try it again. Say it with me. Often. How? 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 Often. Okay, yeah. Withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, wait a second. If the mission is to go and make disciples, why is Jesus often withdrawing to lonely places and praying? It kind of sounds like he's not really like leading out an example. Isn't this an urgent mission on the table? What's Jesus doing? Being a hermit and going to pray? Like, what's he doing? He's going and connecting with the power source. He's going and connecting with his Father so that when he re-engages the mission, it's full of the right stuff. It's full of the right perspective. It's full of the right power. So are you catching that? Sharpening the axe and empowering others is the same counterintuitive move. Wait, there's, there's this business to build. There's this nonprofit I got, I've got to help succeed. There's, this, there's these things in my job description. Yes, yes, and yes. But part of how these become truly outstanding is the person who's leading those efforts withdraws and equips themselves and is serious about it as serious as they are about the task. Let me say it like this. You and I must be as serious about equipping ourselves as we are about the task itself, right? Game changer. Number five, move it along. Here we go. Number five, embrace seasons of preparation so you're ready for more responsibility when it comes. Man, this is an easy trap for us young leaders to fall into. I know I did when I was your age. It was like, I'm ready to lead. I'm ready to lead. Give me something. Give me something. Give me something. And it wasn't the right time for God to give me the kind of responsibility that I was hungry for. Can anybody relate to this? Anybody at all? Like, I'm built to lead. I'm built. I I know it in my heart. I, I have great things in my heart. And yet God seems to have you in a season of preparation and you're pissed off about it. You're like, here I am again. I remember I graduated from Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, which at the time really had this emphasis of like, go out and change the world. You can be the one. You can be that person who makes a difference that radically alters the the destiny of billions of people around the planet. You know, which was good, like full of vision and fire. And I graduated, got married to this amazing woman named Carrie, and I was praying. I'm like, okay, God, we're graduated, we're married. Like, what's the big vision? What's the big mission? And I prayed and prayed, heard nothing, heard nothing. And then finally one day I was, I was praying. My, Carrie's a nurse, so she was in the ER working. 
And I was praying, and I felt like God said, go get the vacuum. ¿Cómo se dice? I don't speak it. No hablo inglés. I was like, that cannot be the voice of the Lord, right? Go get the vacuum. I'm like, what in the world? Like, I was learning to hear the voice of God, and I'm like, I'm almost positive. This is what God is saying to me. What was he doing? And he was preparing me like, Brad, if you don't learn to serve in your home and make this apartment look like the top of the Chrysler building, when your wife comes home from work, you're never going to be the kind of leader in the next phase of your life that I want you to be. He was breaking me of my pride. Go clean the dishes. Go take out the trash. Go vacuum the house again. Right? Are the sheets clean? Did you leave the toilet seat down or up when you... Right? It was like God was trying. It was a season of preparation. Check this out. Did you know that before David became king, the time he was anointed to the time he was king was a long time, right? And he was a cheese delivery guy. One of the many menial roles that he had before he became king. But yet he knew he was king, so check this out. You know, some of you know, I'm called to something. I have this, I have this thing burning in my heart, but yet I'm delivering cheese right now. Yeah, you're not alone. That's often what God does to, to us. It's often how God forms us, breaks us, right? Check this out. Now Jesse said to his son David, which was the same son that he had forgotten to present to Jesse, like, David, you don't really matter, right? Take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brother and hurry to the camp. Oh, by the way, take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. Here I am again. First I'm doing the sheep. My brothers are wielding the sword in battle in defense of Israel, and I'm carrying cheese. I love my life. It's just a beautiful symphony. What was going on in the heart of David? God was preparing him. Number six, continually solicit feedback from a variety of people around you. Huge leadership lesson. Man, this one is scary because it shows us how insecure we are. One, most of us don't even ask for feedback. And two, if we do ask for feedback, it's from people who we know will just tell us how great we are. I'd love some feedback from you, person who's never said a constructive criticism word ever in your life. All you say is, oh, you're so awesome. I want, I want all the feedback I can get from you. And oh, yeah, you're really nice too, so I'm going to ask you. No, you ask for a variety of people, some who err on the side if this is a, a balancing contest between truth and grace, they err on the side of truth, right? Ask them for feedback in, from a variety of sources about every aspect of your leadership, right? And I guarantee you, it's going to hurt a little bit. I've done this multiple times. I don't do it enough. But it's so good because you, you inevitably get feedback that's positive, unless you're just a tyrant. But you'll also get people who are like, you know what? And you have to decide what you're going to do with that. (laughs) Either like, okay, you're on my naughty list now. You don't get the $5 gift card at Christmas anymore, (laughs) or whatever it is. Or do you go, okay, 
I need to take that and seriously reflect on that piece of feedback. So this, this, is, this is a fun slide. These are the things that I have learned about myself that I did not know from feedback from people. And I'm going to show you four of them. Are you ready for me to be embarrassed? Okay. Number one, you have a tendency to sugarcoat the truth when you should be more direct with people. Ow. Really? Yes, really, Brad. You fluff it up, you dress it up, you put a bow on it, you dip it in like some beautiful like lemon something, and then you, then you deliver the truth, right? And that's that, I'm dip, being diplomatic. No, you're actually confusing people. Because they think that they're, they, they, you, they need to hear truth from you, and all they can hear is, oh, yeah, I love you. That's all they can hear. Number two, isn't this exciting? You pull back from friendships when you get stressed. Oh, I loved hearing that. And I'm like, that is really true. Like, why do I do that? When I get overwhelmed in life, in leadership, what suffers? My friendships. Oh, snap. I better do some introspection and figure out what's going on with me. Number three. This is a great list. You tend to surround yourself with people who think and act a lot like you. I remember this. This was like seven years ago. Someone said, have you ever noticed that everybody on your team always agrees with you and almost has the same perspective uh, as you about everything? And I'm like, ugh, that's not healthy. Number four, you need to improve your self-care if you hope to avoid burnout. Huge thing I didn't even realize about myself is that I can jump into something, a task, and it consumes me because I want to get it done. It's a, it's a drive for excellence in me. And yeah, I can wake up three months down the road. And I'm like, when was the last time I breathed or bathed or shaved or when did I eat last? No, seriously, like I, I, would, I, I realized, man, I'm just so full of anxiety. Well, maybe you're like me in that working out is a huge stress reliever. I'm like, no wonder I'm experiencing so much extra anxiety right now. I haven't been to the gym in like two months, three months. This is a problem. I mean, I know you're like, really, Brad? You look like you go every day. Um, we better move on. All right, number seven. Avoid the trap of thinking you can only lead people that you're older, smarter, and more talented than. This is something young leaders, uh, depending on the scenario, can face pretty early on. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Think of yourselves not necessarily as the one who's got the goods, but as a leader, the one who can assemble a team of people that collectively have the goods, right? So that often means that you will be leading people that are smarter than you, are older than you, and that are more talented than you. And you need not feel weird about that. You need to to say, my job is to conduct this team of people that I'm around and pull out the very best that's in each of them, right? Not necessarily be the one who's the smartest, who's got the most experience, and who's got the most intellect, right? So it's a paradigm shift. We need to think of ourselves as gatherers of exceptional teams of people that you as a leader help work together, right? This is a big, big deal. 
Blainley said, the greatest leaders are like the best conductors. They reach beyond the notes to reach the magic in the players. Isn't that cool? All right, number eight, and then we're going to do some discussion. Don't underestimate the power of a great attitude and a willingness to take responsibility for mistakes. So here's an honest confession. I would rather be with someone who is average or below average in terms of gifting, intelligence, maybe even passion, that has a phenomenal attitude than someone who is so smart, so gifted, and so passionate, and their attitude is crappy, right? Many times, as someone who's hired a lot of people and worked with a lot of teams, I've chosen this person almost every time, right? Now, hopefully, you can get a little bit of both, but it's so vitally important. Don't underestimate this. Seriously, start practicing it. I don't care where you work and how, how not happy you are with your current job, perhaps. Choose to practice this. Have a can-do positive attitude towards those that are above you, and they will love you. They will probably promote you, right? Have, have a problem-solving mentality about you. This is a huge deal. There are, there are people that, that constantly can diagnose the problem. I'm unhappy about this, this, and this at the job. Well, duh, it's a, it's a job full of broken people in a broken organization. And that's okay to come, come with things that are issues, but are you solution-minded? How is your attitude despite the problems, right? I, I love this idea because this can, this can literally... Guys, I'm telling you, this can, this can be the key that unlocks so much in your career. If you just choose to always be like, you know what? Yes, we're facing these problems, but we can get it done. You know what? You're right. That is a challenge, but we can get it done. And when there's a mistake, oh, when there's a mistake, everyone's like, whoa, I didn't, ooh, woo, I didn't do that. Whoa, whoa, I didn't spill that. Whoa, nope, didn't do it. If it is remotely within your area of influence and you weren't even the one who spilled the coffee, right? But someone under you did, spilled the proverbial coffee on the white rug, right? And you're, meet, you're meeting with someone who says, what the heck? You know what? I take full responsibility for that spill. We should have been more careful and I should have had a better system in place to ensure that that didn't happen. I will make sure it doesn't happen again. My apologies. Don't be afraid to take responsibility, right? Now, obviously, this can go to a default. $20,000 is missing out of the drawer, you know, at the coffee shop where you work. You're like, oh, I did it. I'll take responsibility. That's how you end up in jail, right? That's not what we're talking about. You guys, you guys catching the difference, right? You're like, if it is in your area of sphere, you go, you know what? Yeah, I'll take full responsibility. Here's a statement we should, we should say over and over again. Practice with me. I take full responsibility for this and for that and for this. Okay, sorry. That got weird. It's the coffee talking. 86 set from the... Okay, moving on. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on here. Okay, we better end quick. So life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. You've heard it said before, but it is so true. How do you respond, right? How do you respond? Attitude is so much about your body language and about the words you say, right? Watch both carefully in the workplace. Watch both very carefully. 
I mean, you can just, I've been around people that you just see it. They're in a meeting, and they're like, Wazowski. Movie reference. Look it up later. All right. We better stop. It's getting really strange. All right. Let's discuss. We have a few minutes. Shailene, do we have a few minutes still? Great. Okay. So take 10 minutes. Here are four uh, discussion questions for you guys to just get the ball rolling. If you say, Brad, uh, thanks for your help with these, but I already have something I want to ask the table or share, run with that too. But these are four options for you guys. Um, Ready, set, discuss. Much love.